the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know why a lot of people don't want to come into the light? For that reason. They feel like if they do, then the shame will be too much. Now, Unfortunately, that might be true in human relationships, where if you come clean about something and the response is a lot of shame and guilt, then you're going to think to yourself, why, why did I even come clean if I'm going to get all the shame and guilt? But with God, it's never like that. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John. Are you ashamed of your past? It can be challenging to confront the mistakes you've made, and sometimes you might want to avoid it altogether. Well, Pastor Gary will encourage you in the message today to bring your sin and brokenness to the Lord. When you come into the light and get right with Jesus, there's a cleansing process that happens. Not only does He forgive you, but you're free to move forward, to walk in the light with Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 John chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. There's going to be a few things that uh, John says God is in, in 1 John. And here they are. I'm going to, I'm going to give you all three right, right at the beginning, even though the last one doesn't come till chapter 4. And it's probably the most quoted one, it's the best known one. But the first one that, that John writes about here, that God is, is God is life. God is life. He, he, he says there, uh, concerning the word of life, I'm a, I can testify concerning the word of life. Verse 2, that life was manifested. And, and the word life is used 14 times in this little epistle of only five chapters. He's going he's gonna to put a heavy emphasis on life. Now, there are a couple of Greek words that, and the New Testament was written originally in Greek, that translate life. You have bios, we, we know that one, right? Biology, the study of life. That's physical life, natural life. You have suke, which is really the study of the soul, but it's sometimes translated in the Bible as life. And then you have the Greek word zoe. Z-O-E. And Zoe makes a, a pretty girl's name too, but Zoe in the Greek means life that is eternal, the fullness of life, the fullness of life. And, and Zoe, really, that kind of life we can only have through a personal relationship with the one who is life, that is the Lord. 
And so this is the kind of life that he's talking about here. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Zoe. No man comes to the Father except through me. So even by Jesus' own testimony, if you really want to have the fullness of life, if you think to yourself, you know, I don't really feel like, you know, I, I feel like something's lacking in my life. That might be because you don't know Christ, because he is the fullness of life. And once you know him, you know fullness of life like you've never known before. Some people, some people have the opposite view. They think, you know, if, if I get serious about Jesus, he's going to kill my life. I'm not going to have a life. If I get serious with Jesus, I won't be able to do some of the things I used to do. You have, you have, you're being so robbed. It's like you think that drinking out of that nasty, bitter, muddy well is so refreshing. That's because you haven't tasted living water. Until you taste from the well that never runs dry, and you realize this, 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 this is water that I've been wanting all my life. I thought what I had was really great. No, what you have is that muddy, bitter stuff. That's a, that's a bad well, and you don't even know, because you have nothing to compare it to. Until you know what Christ offers, the well you're drinking from you think is delicious. But when you taste of him, my, oh, my, there's nothing in comparison. So he is life. And John 1, 4, it said, John would write in his, in his gospel, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So one of the things that he talks about here is, is life. Uh, we'll talk in a moment here about how God is light. And then I just want to touch on God is love, even though we won't get there till chapter 4, uh, just, just because, just as a kind of a, a, a fact about First John as it relates to love, the word love is found 45 times in 1 John alone. 45 times. Now listen to me on this. That is more times in, the, in 1 John than any other book of the Bible. And it's only five chapters. Now, the exception is the book of Psalms. It has 150 chapters, but the word love only appears 141 times in the book of Psalms. So even proportionally then it means that 1 John talks about love even more than the book of Psalms, more than any other book of the Bible. It is a major theme, and every single time the word love is used in 1 John, it is the Greek word agape. As most of you know, there are different words in the Greek for the word love. In English, you know, it's, it's kind of sad, because in English, it's, it, our language is kind of deficient in some ways, and especially in the word love. Because we, we, we say, you know, I love ice cream. And then we say, I love my wife or I love my husband, right? Well, I hope you love your husband or wife more than you love ice cream, but we only have one word. So we say, oh, I love Fridays. I love my kids. I hope a little bit more than Fridays, you know? But, the, but in the Greek language, they were brilliant. So they had different words. Like uh, storge is um, family love. Eros is erotic love. Phileo is brotherly love. Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. Or my friend from Philly says the city of brotherly shove. But anyway, and then you have, and then you have agape, which is this highest supreme love. And every time, all 45 times that the word love is used in 1 John, it is always agape. It's talking about this highest form of love that we can only really know in a personal relationship with the Lord. So he is these things, and so, you know, back here now, uh, we'll, we'll get at least uh, tonight to how he is light. But he, he talks here about how God is life, 
in verse 2, and that life was manifested. So the manifestation of, of God's life comes present in, in Jesus. That's why he adds there in verse 2, we've seen, we bear witness, declare to you that eternal life, this fullness of life, Zoe, which was with the Father and was manifested to us through the person of Jesus, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship. You can circle that word fellowship. That word is used four times in First John, twice right here, uh, because he, he says that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship, there's the word again, is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And it is that Greek word koinonia. We, we name our small group uh, ministry after koinonia, so we call them K-groups, our K-group Bible study that meets in homes, because it's the idea, again, of this kind of fellowship that you can only really have in this relationship with Christ. Have you ever gone somewhere? I, I can tell you personally, like Terry and I, this past summer, I was invited to speak in Thailand at this uh, missions congress, and there were, there were people, a few hundred people there from all over the world, okay? And they even had uh, about six different languages that were being translated. They had translators in the back of the room translating as I'm speaking and in the earpieces of people, just like at the UN kind of a thing. It was just a marvelous thing. But, you know, and, and here we walk into a group of a few hundred people from all over the world that we'd never met before, and some of whom we don't even speak their language. And yet I can tell you, it's that instant friendship and fellowship and like brothers and sisters, and, and you've never even met these people. And, and the first time you meet them, it's just like you have that special common bond and fellowship. Why is that? It's koinonia because it's based on Christ. So you can meet basically a complete stranger and they know Christ and you know Christ and you instantly have a kind of fellowship that just transcends all other kinds of things that, that normally divide other, other people that, that shouldn't divide us in the body of Christ. And you come together under the umbrella and fellowship of Jesus. That's the kind of koinonia that he's talking about here. It's with, this, it's with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, so here's the other thing, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, now he's going to move in this section here using this language about light and darkness. And he, and he tells us here that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, it's interesting, Albert Einstein in Theory of Relativity, he was talking about how if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, he said if, if you could travel at the speed of light, time ceases to be. And he was once asked, how many people understand this? And he said, me and one other person. And they said, who's that other person? He said, I haven't met him yet. <laughs> 186,000 miles per second, he said, if you could travel at the speed of light, time ceases to be. You see, God is light. And he's outside of time. God, God is not restricted by space and time. He's outside of the time-space continuum. Now, he made a decision 2,000 years ago to enter that continuum, to come into our, our order of space and time by taking on flesh and dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. But outside of his entry into the world, into the human race, taking on flesh, dying for our sins, God is outside of time. He's, he's not restricted by time. He, 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 he's not measured in terms of time. 
There is no beginning with him. There is no ending with him. So it's interesting, even, you know, basically, you know, science, not that we need science to validate the Bible, right? I always believe that eventually science will catch up with the Bible. But it's always interesting to, to note something that John says there in terms of, you know, God is light and in him is no darkness. And, and then Einstein comes along and says, you know, if we could travel at the speed of light, there is no time. And it's consistent with what Scripture teaches here. But he uses this terminology here about light and darkness because in, in the next uh, verse, he's going to say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he starts to use this terminology here about light and darkness to communicate who God is. God is light. God is outside of time. And here we are. We're in darkness. You know, before, before we get saved, certainly, we're walking in darkness. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, you know, all this terminology is used used to describe the Lord and describe our relationship with him. And and so Jesus comes along and says, listen, I'm the light of the world. You're in fellowship with me, you, you won't be in darkness. It's interesting because there is something true, pure, right, unashamed, good, and clean about the light. Versus when you think about darkness, you know, at nighttime, darkness, there's something sinister. There's something evil. There's something wicked and shameful and fearful and secretive about living in in the darkness, you know, at night. You know, think about it. You never had to tell your kids to be afraid of the dark. And you were too when you were a kid. Why is that? Why is there this, this fear attached to, you know, like darkness? It's, it's because there's something about the darkness that, that there's, there's this kind of, you know, seedy thing that happens in the darkness. Think about when most crime occurs. Most crime, except and, unless some criminal is really brazen, doesn't occur in the daytime. It occurs under the cover of darkness. It occurs at nighttime. Think about, you know, things that, that come out in the dark. You know, rats. And bats and cats, you know, just all of those things that just does evil things that just keep crawling out, you know, at, at nighttime. Uh, every scary movie you've ever watched, the setting was at nighttime. It was all in the darkness because there's something about the darkness that, that, is, that just presents itself in, in this way. So this is why the Bible uses this terminology. You know, what's the difference between a butterfly and a cockroach? Light. And darkness. You know, one comes out at the light. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, and then one is like, through your cupboard in the dark. And as soon as you, you know, if there's a cockroach in your house and you open up the cabinet, they scurry, you know, because light has come. And so, you know, they flee. And you, and you would think that most people would want to come into the light when, when it, where it concerns the Lord, where things are pure and true and good and right, but not everyone wants to. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 3, 19 to 21, he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So Jesus says, unfortunately, you know, I've come into the world, light has come into the world, 
But there's going to be a lot of people that just love darkness more than light. They're more comfortable under the cover of darkness doing what they do rather than coming into the light. It can be a very vulnerable and terrifying thing to come into the light. You know why a lot of people don't want to come into the light? For that reason. They feel like if they do, then the shame will be too much. Now, unfortunately, that might be true in human relationships, where if you come clean about something and the response is a lot of shame and guilt, then you're going you're gonna to think to yourself, why, why did I even come clean if I'm going to get all this shame and guilt? But with God, it's never like that. When we come into the light, and we, he's going to say later in this chapter, when we confess our sins, you know, when, when, we, when we get right with him, and we come into the light, there's this cleansing, purifying, liberating thing that happens that is the result of a very open and vulnerable encounter with Jesus. And since he knows everything anyway, it's not like we're, it's not like we're going to shock him when we come into the light and Jesus is going to be, I didn't know that. It's not going to be any of that. He already knows what he wants us to do is just come clean and come into the light. But this is why John says here in verse 6, if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, there's going to be a few uh, things, false teachings and, and wrong assumptions and false claims and kind of, again, kind of it, it stems out of Gnosticism, but, but that John refutes, and, and this is one of them. One of the things that he's refuting right here in this passage is the idea that we can have fellowship with God regardless of our actions. Again, you know, with Gnosticism, it was like, well, the, the body doesn't really matter, so we can do whatever we want. And so we translate it into our own culture today. And what he's saying here in verse 6 is that, you know, we, we can't go around saying we have fellowship with God. We, we're close to him. We know him. We're walking with the Lord. And walking in the darkness at the same time, because that means we lie and we don't practice the truth. But here's, here's the remedy, though, verse 7. This is what I was talking about a moment ago, about, about being vulnerable and coming into the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, because he is light, we have fellowship with one another, okay, because there's nothing that hinders horizontal relationships like living in darkness as well as the vertical relationship it hinders when we walk in darkness okay so when we come into the light when we get right with the lord we have fellowship with one another that isn't hindered on the horizontal and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin isn't that beautiful? Just he, He's telling us, listen, when we come and we step into the light and we, and we say, okay, Lord, you see anyway, you know anyway, I just want to get right with you. I don't want to be living in secrecy and in darkness. I don't, I don't want to be living a, a hypocritical or duplicitous life where I'm, you know, I, I believe one thing, but I have, behave differently. I want, Lord, to just be right with you and come clean with you. And you step into that light. Oh, how our sins are cleansed. His son cleanses us from how much sin? A little? All. Circle that in your Bibles. Cleanse us from all sin. Not, not a little bit, not a couple, all 
sin. And so he, he refutes that false claim that you can have fellowship and still just behave however you want. He's like, no, 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 no. No, you got to come into the light. You got to be right with the Lord. It's got to be, you got to be true with him. And, but the bonus is that the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross, his atoning sacrifice cleanses us from all sin when we do that. No shame. He doesn't shame us. He cleanses us. And then the second thing that he refutes here between verses 8 and 10, if you look at this with me, he says, if we say, and that's always the lead-in clause, like verse 6 was, if we say, and now here again in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, this is the remedy, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he ties it in again in verse 10 by saying, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. And so basically the second thing that he refutes here is this idea that that we're not sinners. He says, yes, we are. He says, if we we say we have no sin, that's verse 8, so that's inherent sin. And in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, that's, a, that's acquired. So one is like denying the sin nature, and the other is denying sin practices. So I'm not, I don't sin. You know, it's because, again, Gnosticism was kind of the root of this. It's just like, well, the body doesn't really count for anything. So no matter what I do with my body, it's not really sin. It's all about the spirit. And so now that I'm you know, saved, it's only about my spirit. And thus, I can't really sin anyway. Because all that other sinful stuff happens in my body, and the body doesn't count for anything. So it's very twisted, but he's just reminding us of the general sin nature that we all have. We're all born into sin. David writes about in the Psalms about how surely I was in sin from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. We inherit a sin nature because Adam sinned. The human race got spoiled, and every descendant of Adam has now been spoiled, and our nature is sinful. That's why when we're born, as soon as we are able to walk or talk or do anything, we, we just gravitate right to our sinful nature. You know, a little kids, they do stuff that's sinful. They're just, you know, you might think to yourself, well, you know, I think only that's not really fair. Little kids, they do things innocently. No, they don't. No, they don't. You must not have kids. I can remember reading a book with Tyler when he was about three years old, and he had taken a book, which I didn't know until I'm turning the pages, he had taken a crayon and scribbled all over it. Okay, that's fine. Kids do that all the time. That's not sin by itself, right? Kids do, kids do that. But as I'm reading the book with him, and I turn the page, and I see scribble all over it, I'm like, whoa. He said, Tyler, who did this? And he looked at the scribble, and he looked at me, and he said, mommy did that. That's sin right there. All right, that is sin right there. Now, he turned out okay, praise God. But I'm just saying, nobody had to teach him. Now, listen, listen. When I turn the page and there's scribble marks, you blame it on mommy. Where'd that come from? A sinful heart. It's not just adults. Kids are just short sinners. They're sinners too. Because we're born into sin and so we sin. So he says, don't deny that we have a sinful nature and don't deny that along the way, even as Christians, our flesh will get the best of us and sometimes we sin. But here's the good news that is sandwiched right between verse 8 and verse 10, which talks about the sin nature and the sin practices. Verse 9 says, but 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of 1 John. Pastor Gary will have more to share from this New Testament letter when you join us next time. This book calls for consistent faith in good times, in chaotic times, and everything in between. You may be in a season of joy and satisfaction. Are you still trusting God to provide for you and lead you? You might be facing hardship right now instead. Are you leaning into the love and constant support of your Creator? He's with you in all of life's seasons, and He can continue to transform and grow your faith in Him. Continue to seek Him in the Word, in prayer, and in fellowship with other believers. We'd be honored to pray for you for whatever season you're in. Would you get in touch with us and let us know how we can do that? Call us at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study God's Word here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know